0: Welcome to Off The Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode, I sit down with a member of the water polo community to talk with them about what helped make them successful in the world of water polo. In this episode, I sit down with Felix Mercado, the head men's and women's coach at Brown University. If you enjoy the episode, do me a favor, leave a five-star review or share it with your friends. And if you want to support the show, you can go to offthedeckpodcast.com and donate to the program. Thank you very much. All right, um, sitting on the phone with the head coach of Brown university, Felix Mercado. Uh, Felix, thank you very much for being on the program. I really appreciate it.
1: No, Steve, thank you so much for having me. I, I love your podcast and I, I feel honored to be a, uh, to be a part of it now.
0: Thanks man. Um, so I, I wanted to, you know, we've, we meet up so often. I mean, I see you on the road. I see you at tournaments, um, you know, obviously recruiting and, and all that kind of stuff. So we've had a chance to talk just generally um, on, on our own. So um, this is a good opportunity for, for me to get to know you a little bit better. And, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, you know, what I ask of all my guests is, you know, how did you get involved in, in coaching water polo?
1: Uh, great question. Uh, it might not be that interesting, but it's definitely unique. I I only played 2 years of water polo in high school and I was more of a football player. Um after I graduated high school and started going to college, I in order to make a little bit extra money, I started officiating. And uh within a year, I just felt like I really loved the sport and I wanted to do more and a position opened up at a small private school in Miami to uh be the middle school coach, JV coach and it felt within the schedule that I had available after classes um and I and next thing you know, you know twenty twenty six 26 years later <laughs> Wow.
0: That's crazy. And so you, you were refing, and you, you had an opportunity to take, take on the sport. I mean, what was something that like initially attracted you to coaching? um, You know, what was it about coaching water polo that, that kind of sparked your interest? Was there anything specific?
1: You know, it's, it's kind of, I might've forgotten the exact reasons, but I really, I enjoyed teaching I, I enjoyed teaching. I enjoyed, and while I wasn't, I didn't have the most experience with water polo. I, I feel like I, I have this, this knack for wanting to get better and, and 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 learning. And so what I ended up doing, just really focusing on becoming the best water polo coach I can be, so I can teach um, to younger to the the middle school athletes that I that I was coaching, and and I really enjoyed it. And I think seeing success early on. You know, my first group of, of athletes might not have been the most athletic um, and might not it might have chosen water polo because um, they weren't fast enough on land to to, to play any land sports. Um, and I really enjoyed that experience. And I just and like I said, I just I got hooked. And every year I just couldn't wait to do it again and again and again.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it, it definitely seems from the from what I've seen, just like being around you and having conversations that I mean, your knowledge base is really high. I mean, you know, I I would never have guessed, you know, what your playing experience or anything like that was based off of the conversations that, that we've been having. And obviously I've been coaching for a, a long time as well. So, I mean, what are, and this is off topic, you know, so I'm just sort of throwing this at you, but you know, what are some of the things that you see in terms of like educating yourself that have helped you to continue to like expand your knowledge base? Is there anything specifically that you do Yearly or monthly or or even daily that that helps you to continue to expand
1: Oh with that and I think nowadays is a lot easier to to acquire knowledge um, Because of the accessibility of the in the, of the internet You know anytime a book comes out anytime, you know a co- another college coach or you know a national team coach comes out with a video or anytime, you know, uh, there's there's uh, some someone puts out videos like of skill sets. I I I watch every video. I record every video. I try to read as many water polo books as possible, but also non-water polo coaching books. Um, I I when I go recruit, man, you know, and hopefully I won't put any pressure on coaches, but I like obviously I'm going there to watch talent, but I also like to sit near coaches, their benches to kind of listen to what they're saying and 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 to learn from them because there's there's without a doubt the last four or five years where I've sat behind a 16 under coach. Um, bench and i I found a different way to to use a term uh, a term that might be easier to understand so I don't know if it's something that is unique to maybe my mindset but I do think that if that if you have the mindset that you you're always willing to learn you'd be surprised how 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 much stuff you do learn um, and I, like I said I don't know if it's a if it's just my mindset personally or if it's something that all of us have but I would out it out take you know take the opportunity to to, to learn and listen to anyone who's coaching regardless of high school club college i I want to always learn and and um and I don't like I said I don't know if that's my own mindset or if that's just something that we all have is just the willing of making it um making an effort to to do it but i I definitely without doubt learn from everyone
0: yeah uh, I mean I think it's I think it's safe to say that you know although it may not be like super unique, what you're saying in terms of acquiring knowledge, you obviously take it extremely serious because there's only a certain number of full-time head coach college jobs in the country. So obviously you take it really seriously and, and you know, you know, there's a lot on the line in terms of, you know, your, your own competitiveness and everything else. So, um, you know, what is it that you feel, um, you know, kind of merging into the, to the, next question, which is what is your overall feeling about the state of college water polo and water polo maybe in general? And I think, you know, maybe you could start with the knowledge base, you know, maybe you could start from there and then kind of work your way into some other, some other things that you're thinking about, but, um, you know, helping coaches get better and stuff like that. Like what's your overall sense of of the state of water polo in that regard?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the, the sport at the collegiate level right now is at a crossroads and there's some good things happening. We are adding programs and it's, and it's great, but there might be some issues that we might not be aware of that might end up. We might be taking two steps forward in the next four or five years by adding programs, but in 10 years, we might have to take three steps backwards because we need to get coaches. We need to continue to develop coaches who are ready to, to coach at the collegiate level. We need coaches to want to understand that it might not be the most lucrative location or the, the most lucrative pay, but to, to get coaches out there to put themselves to, to coach at the collegiate level, um, it's important. And As we add programs, um, finding coaches that are willing to, to, to do the necessary like work to, to put themselves in a position to get their next job. And I, and I think in our sports, sometimes everyone is, there's a perception that everyone's just waiting for the next UCLA job to open. Nothing, not that Adam Wright is going to, is leaving or anything, yeah. but everyone's always looking for that, for that job. And, but, but there's other opportunities. If our sport's going to continue to grow, we need coaches that are willing to go out and, and coach at, you know, at the division three level that can be very competitive, but also not just coaches, but athletes. We need, there is a, there is a, a shortage of, especially on the, on the women's side, of athletes that are being exposed to the, their opportunities to play out east, especially at the Division three level. Um, you know, the, it's, you know, they don't train year round. There's certain limitations as far as the training, but they're varsity programs that give, that can give anyone a, a unique opportunity of getting a great education at a, at a, at a great school, um, smaller school, but a chance to also play water polo. And I think that, if there's a concern of mine is getting more coaches to want to coach at the college level and and as these programs pop up, but also athletes to to go to look at Austin College in Texas that new program because there might be two more schools opening up there you know we have Milliken College opening up in Illinois um and I think that that conference that Milliken College and Monmouth College are in in Southern Illinois might add a couple more schools that you know because they want more kids to go to these they want more diversity in their application pool as far as um, regional diversity and 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 getting more athletes to go to these places. So I hope that coaches, club coaches, high school coaches around the country, not just in California but Texas, Pennsylvania, Florida, Washington, are hopefully encouraging their athletes. They don't have to be the superstars of the team but anyone that's hard working that loves water polo to explore these opportunities, because like I said, we're going to have in the next four or five years, three, four more teams add. Maybe one of them will be a a big division one school. But if, if these schools that are adding aren't getting the athletes right and aren't getting coaches, that, that might not you know that won't be successful they'll drop their programs and they'll just go to the next sport that can offer that that type of um regional diversity that they might be looking for so i i, I like the growth but it, it, i do have a little bit of concern with how much um we all have to be kind of aware that it takes all of us to kind of help these programs by providing coaching and coaches that are able to do it but also athletes that are encouraging athletes to look beyond the the UC schools, or or and go look at these schools, and to see if they you know find the place to get a great education and play water polo at the next level.
0: Yeah, and you know I think it's important to to highlight a couple of things that you said there, and one of those things being, although the growth is is happening, and obviously you know because you are. You're the executive director, I, I believe, of the of the CWPA. Is that what? It, what no, it? I'm
1: yeah. No, I'm the president of the Coaching association, the Collegiate Coaching Association. Okay,
0: and so like yeah. obviously <laughs> we're hearing it first first hand from you uh, that it's although the growth is happening, it's it's a fragile time. It's not like it's there's like a big you know pillar supporting this growth right now. Um, and and to touch on the coaching aspect, because I think when people hear you say you know, we need to get more people to coach in college. I think a lot of people are going, well, shoot, I want to coach in college. Like I would love that opportunity. Um, but, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, what, what you're saying is that people, there's jobs that are opening up, but there's some high quality coaches that just aren't willing to move to a to an area of the United States that will really help them flourish. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yes, kind of. Not, not to put it all like coaches. Not, you know, that might feel like they're above the position, but more like the chance to take that chance to move. Like, I'm originally from Miami, Florida, mm-hmm. and when I got the opportunity to to coach at MIT um, as an assistant coach, I, I was like, why would I want to do that? Why would I want I mean, I know it's a great school, but it's cold and it's not paying very much, right? Yeah. And but I finally, you know, not that anyone had to really twist my arm, but it took a little bit of arm twisting to be like, okay, I got in my car and I. I remember that drive. It wasn't like I was scared, you know, I was scared um, to do like, what if I fail <laughs> or what if, you know, what am I going to do to make ends meet if, if I don't make enough money coaching? But once I got there, you figure it out. And then I got the opportunity. I said, I don't know if everyone's going to get a, a Brown dream job opening up three, four years into their, their coaching career, but you'll never know unless you do it. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think it's more, it's not like I think, that's a necessary, that's almost a necessary step to get to where you ultimately want to go or to have the opportunities there. It's just part of the learning and, you know, the minor leagues, if you want to call it, but if you want to get to the majors, you, only very few people get to skip that, that, that step. Um, and, and, and I think it's important and, and administratively is, it's the, coaching in NCAA, At at the college level, is so it's. I wish it was just showing up on a pool deck, blowing a whistle, coming up with drills. It requires so much administrative work and compliance stuff that it's definitely something that you, if you get an opportunity to do it, you should. It's almost like going to college. Like learn this step so that you can get your master's in coaching college uh, water polo. Um, It's just definitely a step. Uh, Hopefully, that answered your question.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you know, it's you know the the coach from the Celtics did not start at the Celtics. I mean, he, he had to start all the way, you know, at the bottom and work his way up sometimes in high school, then to the division three college, then moving your, so it's a journey. And, you know, it's interesting that I had uh, John Abdu on, on one of the podcasts um, and you guys are really in, in alignment with, with that taking risk uh, type philosophy of, you know, you just gotta, you gotta go for it if you're really into this. Um, you got to really give it a try and, and and take a leap of faith. So um, and I mean, I think when you start getting coaches that are maybe placed in uh, communities of water polo to go out to these new programs and automatically you have a recruiting pool of athletes, which was to your next point of you got to get athletes out there. And so do you think and this is you know, uh, again, a question that I I didn't send you ahead of time, but do you think that an organization like USA Water Polo um, can help supplement uh, some of that cost or, you know, maybe some of the funds that are involved with attracting uh, an experienced coach in a community that, you know, maybe is already thriving in water polo? Like, is that something that another organization can help fund or help with, or is that just, just a university, um, budget, budgetary thing?
1: Yeah, there's no, qu- I don't think any university would, I don't think USA water pool, first of all, has enough money, even if they doubled their, their, uh, their, uh, their rates, their annual fees would would be able to 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 do that. It's really, the only thing USA Water can really do is get the message out that that this is a great sport. I think all universities work under different umbrellas and different budgetary issues, and and ultimately it could be tuition driven um, uh, universities as far as when they add sports. And so, if you know USA Water technically can't provide scholarships, you know because of certain rules. But if they don't get the athletes, the only thing USA Water Polo can do really do to to help is to continue. I, and I and I'm very good friends with John, so I I'm not I, I have a little bias here. And 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 what my my opinion is that you know I think US Water Polo, especially recently, has been doing a great job as far as providing you know these ODP things while it is Olympic development it also is expo- exposing athletes from different areas to college co- to college coaches so we can see so they are giving they're opening up um, opportunities for, for recruiting you know by doing the ODP stuff and and you know the J- junior olympics is such a big tournament that coaches go to so i think that's that's usa waterpolo's job is to make sure that the athletes have an have an environment to get better and be, and, and, and be in recruitable events. Um, and they do, and like I said, obviously working with John, um, and USA Water pool, they do, they are out there funding, co- um, collegiate opportunities that, um, there's certain things that are going to be coming out in the next, um, couple of weeks. Some good news that unfortunately I can't share that's going to show the, the investment that USA Water pool is making in, um, at, at, water, for Water at the collegiate level.
0: That's awesome. I was gonna I was hoping to get a breaking story here on, on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> my first breaking news. But um Well okay. it's,
1: it's it's something's coming out and it's gonna be really good. So I at least you get the first to officially hear that. Yeah. Good stuff's coming down.
0: <laughs> yeah, well that's great to hear. Um so let's get back to your experience uh, at coaching um at Brown and, and MIT. Um how many uh, how many championships have you been involved with on any level?
1: Well, in the high school level in Florida, I I think I was involved at three state championships, but numerous championship games. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, at the collegiate level, um, at, the funny thing is it's, that's all my resume, but it's so tiny. I actually spent a year at Hartwick College as as uh, an assistant coach. Alan Hawkins is one of my good friends, and he was in transition of losing his assistant coach, so I was actually at MIT. And helping Hartwick. Um In 2007, we won a an Eastern Championship with with the women's team at Hartwick College. Uh, it was an awesome experience. And uh, and then the very next year, I went to Brown, and in 2014, I won a championship uh, with the men. So, I mean, if you're doing the math, every seven years. So hopefully, in 2021, <laughs> you know, I'm hoping sooner, but at least definitely 2021. There's going to be pressure for me to to hopefully win another championship. Of course. But, um, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah so you know Hartwick I didn't even I didn't even notice that um that that's pretty cool Hartwick was was doing really well I mean in, in that mid to late 2000s they were they were getting recruits from all over the place right
1: Yes they are they they were very they they had a lot of uh, of Americans but they definitely had their international their New Zealanders their Australians and Canadians um and South Africans they literally um it's and it's such a unique place it's like obviously upstate New York but he was able to, you know, Alan Huckins, you know, in my opinion, is one of the best coaches around. He was able to convince these uh, warm weather athletes to go up and 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 compete and represent Harwick for so many years. And I think there, while he was there, he won three to four championships yeah. um, with not as much resources, you know, financial resources as some of the other teams he was competing against.
0: Yeah, or even facilities. So um, exactly. And and so within that, I mean, I think that's a unique. Time frame, you know, where you're saying there's a block of time. And so obviously you're able to get into a, a situation where you're kind of building it up. That That's what it sounds like to me. You know, you're, you're getting to a place, you're kind of building it up to a peak, getting to a place, building it up. Um, and, and then, you know, you may graduate a big class or whatever. So being able to see all, all those different places and different players from different countries and, and, and things like that. Is there something that you've seen that are similar in successful players is there some similarities that you constantly see
1: you know i you asked that question you sent me and i was thinking about this question because it's kind of like it's a unique question right and it's very you can i can say well yes hard worker talent you know hard you know i think there's a hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard and as much as that's such an overused um uh, quote. Um, it's it's somewhat correct, but you do need talent. Uh, you need you need talented athletes, and and typically if they're working, if they're making, the work ethic is important. If they have the work ethic, and especially if they've built on it, they're gonna get better. They're gonna be more talented because a, you know, you're not born, you know, you don't come out of the, the womb and. Boom! You could you could throw a skip pezzi, you know, a double bar in. I mean, it it definitely takes some training to do it. So, but work ethic is important. And coachability, I mean, I, I God, coaches have such a big impact on the development of our athletes. Um, and I, I do think that you know there's a there's a reason why most of these athletes are coming from certain programs because they're exposed to good coaching and 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 they have to be willing to absorb that coaching and and, and apply it. So, work ethic and coachability are two important character characteristics and that I think are, is common, but also someone who loves the sport, is passionate about it. That, um, and, and, and again, that's, that might be more of a trait. Like they love it. They love something so much that there's never a time when they don't want to do it. They don't want to, um, um, get better. So I, I, I mean, it's kind of, it was kind of hard for me to kind of pinpoint one thing and it's kind of hard for me to kind of get away from the cliches, but pretty much work ethic, and coachability are definitely two characteristics that are in in, in almost every talented, successful um, athlete that I've seen.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I'll take on, I'll kind of grasp onto that third thing that you said, which is like the passion of the game. And the reason I'm I want to talk about that a little bit is because you're in a unique situation at Brown. Uh, you know, you're you're an Ivy League school, you know, really intense academics. Uh, unique area. I mean, the campus and the area around is just like amazing. I love that. I love that place. Um, and so, you have to recruit the the best of the best, and you're always going after the best of the best. Um, and is there sometimes where you want to say to a kid, "Listen, I know you want to go to X Y Z school, but." you're going to fall out of love with the game if you go there but if you come here that spark is going to be like relit and and i could see it like you could already see it in their eyes is that ever yeah. part of it
1: no i don't think I, again my this is only my experience i don't think i've never told someone they're not good enough to put, like obviously you know being an ivy league school and you're you, with the high academic schools and not that everyone thinks Stanford is the greatest university in, in the country or the world. But, you know, I, I get athletes who like, they're, they're looking for Stanford and, and I always felt like we we're saying, Oh, well, why would you want to go to Stanford? If all you're going to do is sit on the bench or why would you want to go to UCLA? If all you're going to do is sit on the bench, then I thought about it. I'm like, I'm literally insulting them. I'm literally telling them that they're not good enough, that they should settle for us. Mm-hmm. So I kind of was like, you know what? That's not the approach I want. I want, Hey, I'm glad you're looking at Stanford and look at us as well because while yes, at the end of the day, we are not playing for a national championship. That doesn't mean we're trying, we're not trying to compete for a national championship. And, and, and I kind of use it that way, that way. I, I, I tended to start staying away from that whole, like, why would you want to go there if you're not going to play?
0: Yeah. You well, know, why would I,
1: you want to go there if, you know?
0: And I guess I don't mean it like, like that in terms of playing. I think I mean it more in terms of like, I think it's going to suck the passion out of you, you know, like yeah. I, I think it's going to not, not not, necessarily like you're not good enough because I think that I, I agree with you. I think that's a tricky road to go down. But, um, you know, I, I mean, I played against Brown, uh, you know, so I understand like the dynamics of East Coast water polo and everybody always thinks, oh, it's, it's not as good. It's not as good. But I mean, that's just not true. I mean, you have a lot of talented players and the games are really exciting and you know, just people aren't exposed to it as much, but you know, I definitely was, I definitely found a, a new passion for the game kind of almost like a new start when I went out East. So I was wondering if you had any similar conversations with recruits about just like losing the love.
1: Yeah. You know, it's it's difficult because as much as we we think we know the, the people that we're recruiting, you only know so much of them. So you everyone's gonna. I think again, my experience with recruiting is like you don't really really know them. You think you know them. You talk to their coach, and uh, but you don't spend you know a week with them. You know, following them around. So you kind of have to kind of assume that if they're talking to you and they know that you're a division one program and they understand like what your school offers, you know, a lot of the first questions like what's going on, what what about summer training, you know, and, you know, the question is like, well, I don't want water polo to become my job and it should not become your job, you know, and I think that's the difference is do you want a job or do you want your passion (laughs) and, if you want to, you know, if you want a job where you, you literally might get two to three weeks off a year, you know, for that four year cycle because of the constant, oh, well, if you don't train in the summer, then you're probably not going to be in the rotation or that, that presume, presumed threat of, well, if in order for me to, to get to be part of a championship team, I have to literally do something I might not want to do. I don't necessarily, I definitely approach it that, I'm like, you don't want, water polo to be a job because it's only eventually before you can just you, you can easily just say i'm done with this you want it to be your passion you want it to be no matter what this is what i want to do and if that means you want to play 12 months out of the year you go for it so i think i do approach it like do you want a job or do you want your passion and nobody there's a lot of people i'm i'm very fortunate that i do love my job but there's a lot of people that don't love their jobs that don't yeah. love getting up and doing it so i definitely address that part of the recruiting and and the and the environment that what you're signing up for. What are you signing up for? Are you signing up for a job or are you signing up for the academic piece that also allows you to play the sport that you're passionate about to the the best of your ability and achieve any goals that you have for your team or for yourself?
0: Yeah. So what are some of the – what do you see as some of the challenges uh, working or coaching at Brown – uh, you know, what are you looking for? Um, I mean, besides the obvious six foot six center, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, like, what is it that you're, what are some of the challenges that you found coaching? Because I mean, you're obviously at a great institution, but you also have these other institutions that are surrounding you that are also great. So, you know, I mean, there's got to be some unique stuff going on there.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, and that's a great question and, you know, obviously I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity to 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 promote my university and my program, yeah. you know, I I think that in Brown's, Brown's a little bit different. It's it's only made my job easier because it's such a unique academic environment. Yes, we're an Ivy League school and we fall under that. You know, oh, it's, it's one of the Ivies, You know, and but I think that that Brown that if anyone's really truly. Invested in this university, they're going to ask me about the open curriculum. And I, and I've kind of tend. I've recently I've been kind of like, you know what? If they know about the open curriculum, if they've done their research, and we're having this conversation, that means they're intrigued enough to that this might be a good place for them. The, you know, there are recruits that have no idea, and I have to remind them before we even talk about. You can love me and think I'm the greatest coach, and our facilities are without a doubt the best indoor facility in the country. Um, and um, and we're going to give you this great academic experience. And obviously it's college and it's fun and it's, you know, the history of New England. But if you don't have an idea of what type of academics the open curriculum allows, and then basically open curriculum is where you don't get, you don't have core requirements or so every class you take is, a, is pretty much an elective wow. outside of what you're, you're trying to get your degree in. Yeah. Um, usually that's, that's the, the, the piece that I usually, uh, I usually focus on when I'm when I'm really getting down to recruits and seeing how serious they are about Brown. Um, and because of that, I don't I don't think I compete against Harvard and Princeton and Stanford and on the women's side, Michigan and the UC schools and you know all these other great um, academic institutions that I've I forgot to mention just because I don't want to slight anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but cause, uh, but I, it, it's a. Uh, I don't compete against it because if you truly, truly want what Brown has to offer, it is completely different than any any other school um, offers, especially academically. Um, you know, we obviously tend to, hey, it does get cold here in the last week with – the temperatures dropping all over the, the Midwest and the East coast. It's like, it's been obvious to everyone, Hey, it gets really cold out here. So you yeah. have to be prepared for that. Um, and you know, the uniqueness of new England that you can literally get on a train and be in Boston and you can get on a train and be in New York city, you know, and, and, uh, and so the, the, the opportunities to explore different things. And, and I also try to tell people it's not, four years of your life. It's parts of four years. So you get to always, you can go back home for, for Christmas break and enjoy the sun. If you're from a sunny area, you can, you know, your summers are, are pretty much flexible to do internships and get and and continue to to move on on other passions that you might have outside of athletics. But uh, we definitely sell the balance of, of, of life, the balance of being a college athlete uh, and at hopefully a high academic level. And hopefully, like I said, a- athletically that you're going to, you're not going to come here and and underachieve. I do, you know, I, I think success is built on overachieving, setting goals and surpassing them. Um, and that's, that's how I base my recruiting and at Brown and, and making Brown an attractive, um, destination for every recruit out in, in this country.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, you obviously are, like I said earlier in the podcast, I mean, you, you obviously recruiting like crazy. I mean, you, you go all over, um, and one of the things that I, I've been told from some other coaches on the East Coast and people who coached on the East Coast is just the the openness of recruiting when it, from your perspective, uh, in terms of going to different states, like not just Orange County or Northern California, you have exposure to a bunch of different um, water polo markets. I mean, is there is there one market or is there one like area that you enjoy going to that you've seen? Players developing, you know, day in and day out, or year in year out. Um, that's not California.
1: Outside of California, obviously, I'm a little biased because I'm from Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I love going home because my mom's down there, family down there. Um, you know, you the Pennsylvania, Illinois, um, and I and Texas, I think are definitely three states that have, it's been fun going there and recruiting and seeing their championships. And I went to Texas a couple of years ago and their state championship was in this, the most beautiful pool and it was packed and it was so energetic. Um, I think those three states are, are probably like, Oh, I definitely, I've, I've only been to Michigan and Ohio. I've been to Michigan once in Ohio. I've did a camp in Ohio. So those are I mean, the Midwest schools are pretty, it's a pretty cool environment. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, but like I said, pretty much that's, you know, Pennsylvania, you know, it's, I think it's underrated and there's a lot of really good players that come out of Pennsylvania and Illinois. Um, Georgia's growing. Um, I haven't been to Georgia yet. I think that's my next destination. It's hard when I coach both men and women to try to get down there during our seasons when they're, when they're playing. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, i I'm always looking, that's, I, you, that's, know, and, that's you know, and
0: it's really, really cool to hear a college coach talking about States that weren't even in the mix 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Like. You know, and, and it it truly is. And I think that touches to your point earlier about just the growth and, and you're know, you talking about Georgia, you're talking about Illinois. And, and I mean, Illinois has always had some, some polo, Texas definitely has always had some polo, but you're starting to see it at a higher level now. And you're starting to see these guys on, on rosters, on college rosters more often. I think that's a really, really exciting thing. So, um, you know, if there was, and you have so many different perspectives on this question probably, but, you know, if there was something that you could change about the world of water polo, the game, you know, the environment, whatever it might be, what would you change if you could?
1: (laughs) Another really good question. Um, I thought about this question. I I would probably say that the consistency of our officiating overall at all levels, right? But also the, the tolerance of of the inconsistency of our officiating. I think we as coaches and fans have to understand how difficult this sport really is to officiate. Um, and there's so many different mindsets and they're, they're, we have different levels and different types of rules. So it's not—it's it's probably the most difficult sport to officiate. So I, 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 I wish for more tolerance with our officials, but I also wish for more consistency from, from the officials overall. Um, but that—that's—I think that's always going to be a work in progress um, because the safety, safety is without a doubt my number one concern with officiating. We don't want anyone to get hurt. We want to continue the sport. If parents are going to go and watch a sport and they want their little Johnny or little Mary or Maria to play, <laughs> they're gonna—they need to see. Oh, this is a safe sport to play. And officials have a lot of control in that, but coaches also have to have the demeanor that they're trying. So I'm hoping, you know. So I think overall the consistency of officiating, but also the for, for coaches and fans and and uh, to, to have a little bit more tolerance for inconsistent officials because I I don't think officials are trying to 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 not be do the right thing, if yeah. that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, do you think that sometimes the different rules within the different levels of play contribute to some of the inconsistencies and I mean, I don't know if you're super familiar with all the rules, like, you know, at the 12 and under level and all these yeah. international things that are coming. I'm sure you're aware of those things. But, you know, I mean, the college level has gone through some rule changes as well. So, I mean, do you think that is, I mean, do you think that's good? Do you think that's bad? Should we just keep it all the same across the board? You know, like, what, what do you think about that?
1: Um, I, I think that for the most part, the the, mo- the, the part that, uh, um, that's probably the most, the easiest for all to be the same is how they're they're calling the the rules can be different. Whether you have a five meter line, a seven meter line, a twelve meter line, whether, you know, there's the, the shot clock is this time or that time. I think the fundamental rules about how to call the the offense and defense engaging each other. I think that can be the same across the board. You know, the holding, sinking, pull back, right? Yeah, hold, and I sink, think there there's no reason why those three things are there's For me, there's no reason why all those three things are called differently. I'm like, it's the same thing in the rulebook. All the rulebook, the rulebook explains it the same way. Hold, sink, pull back. Um, I, I think that that's something that I, I think we need to, there's no reason we shouldn't be more consistent all, all across all rulebooks with that part of the game. Um, you know, the, applying the advantage rule, everyone's always like advantage, advantage, advantage. I get it, right? Um, you know, because the advantage rule also comes into play in our sport, and I don't think we need to get rid of the advantage rule, like some coaches might think so. I just think we need to really understand that advantage is to promote good offense. Not, you, if if there's a bad offensive player, right, and they're being held, pulled back, or sunk. It should never be what advantage did they have. They can't finish that. Well, that's not your job to determine that it's they're being held regardless if they can finish, whether regardless if they're Maggie Steffens, right, or someone, you know, of, uh, or 14 and under with that just started playing water polo. If they're being fouled, they should be called call, the, the The foul should be called. Um I think outside of that, it's, everything's kind of be, you know, hit or miss, you know, obviously with what's just happening and it's kind of comical what's happening in the NFL with the missed call. It's like, oh no, you know, and, but no one wants to talk about what happened, you know, two series earlier with the face mask that yeah. wasn't called. It's like, we're focusing on this and you're right. That was such a, a human error. Um, but it's, you're going to miss those things. And if you see that play full speed, and you, whatever angle you might think that the ball got there at the same time yeah. it's crazy you see you're like wait a second they slow it down it's like it's obvious what happened yeah um you know the face mask you know if they would have seen it they would have called it so it's kind of interesting i think officiating in all sports um, needs to be more consistent um but they're human and you have to kind of what they see you might not see you're sitting in a different unless you're literally right next to them watching the same thing they're watching looking at the same place you might they might see you might see something at a different angle that they didn't see because they couldn't. I don't know. That's yeah. that's kind of like I think the rule books are all. The, it's all the same. The stuff that the biggest problem with our rule book is fixable because it's all really the same problem. It's offense and defense engaging. How to call that and how to you know make the game safe, but also you know provide making sure that the offense has an advantage. And I don't think Fina high school collegiate, um, you know, the, the collegiate um, rule book. That's all written the same way. Hold, sink, pull back. You know,
0: it's so funny that you say that because I've been saying that pretty much my entire career. What happened to hold, sink or pull back? I, I get just like, you know, what you're saying, like I get when referees are like, hey, I want to see if they could finish. And, you know, that's why I didn't call it. And and I sometimes I say to the referee, well, but now I didn't get anything N- now. Yeah. Now we didn't get the goal. We didn't get the shot and we didn't get the kick out. So. You you actually took the advantage away from us as opposed to, you know, of course it sucks when you make the, when you call the kick out and the ball goes in the back of the net, you know, of course that that's the worst, but more often than not, it's a, it's a kick out and should the, it's not going to be a shot, you know, it's not going to be something else. So might as well just give us the kick out and let us work our six on five, you know, I mean. I I agree with I think that hold, sink or pullback should be emphasized a little bit more when it comes to just referee training and all those types of things. And, you know, I haven't sat in a bunch of referee, you know, training sessions and things like that. But coming from you as a former referee, I mean, obviously, I feel like there's a little bit more weight behind what you're saying, because I know you probably called it a certain way and you're probably expecting it to be called the way you you see it. I mean, you see it probably on two different levels. You see it as an official and as a coach. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And, and I, I appreciate that you don't mind the rule changes. I mean, I, I don't know how I feel about it exactly, but I mean, I think we could all do a better job in terms of coaches demeanor and, and demeanor and all that other stuff. So, um, who and, and leading into like a, a couple more questions here, I know you, you're crunch for time and stuff. Um, who have been your biggest, uh, mentors or influences in coaching?
1: Um, well, going back to the, to what the, the people who really provided me the love of the sport, you know, in Florida, again, this might be more for the, the South, um, Eastern, uh, members to know these names, but I would say, say, um, there's, the, my first, uh, club coach, uh, Jim, Jim O'Neill, uh, without a doubt, without him, making water polo fun for me, I probably would have never, I probably would have still been probably stuck with football. Um, And then my first coaching um, mentor, um, Callie Flipsy, who actually was the, she coached at GW. She was the, the, the first female coach at GW, probably one of two women who ever, coached men only men's teams um and uh she was the high, the head coach of the program that i the school that i started working and i was her assistant for like numerous years before she retired and 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 i became the head coach those were the two cali flipsy um and uh and jim o'neill early on and then throughout the process going back to learning 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 um usa waterpool used to have this um this where they they paid co- they paid coaches to they paid for coaches to go to various camps and at the young age of 20 I I went to the Camp of Champions at Long Beach um with Kent Lingren and Maya Niskowski and you know I and I went I kept going back I think I went back for 18 straight years going back and became one of the the head counselors with them but Kent Lingwin was like I mean, I didn't grow up with a father, um, so, uh, you know, Ken Lindgren was basically a father figure to me and he taught me a lot about being a man, um, as well as making sure that water, that I kept balance in water pool and didn't let water pool become, um, didn't consume me, um, and not appreciate everything else I had. And, and Maya Skowski obviously, Um, The two Olympic coaches uh, that they were, they were just such big influences on me. And and last but not least, and the one, the person who convinced me to move up to MIT to be his assistant coach for a year while he was at Harvard Medical School and was um, on the national team was uh, Dr. Omar Amr. Um, a lot of my fundamental coaching, I think almost tactically, I, a lot of that I got from Omar and just growing up, just listening to him and, and him just being that kind of influence, still one of my closest friends. But if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have met my wife and my life is, uh, I, like I said, I, I live a pretty good life at Brown and, and I definitely owe Omar a lot for, uh, convincing me to, to make that trek up to the Northeast.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool to hear that uh, Omar had uh, a hand in that. So yeah. um, Felix, I, you know, I wanted to just say thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you uh, for being on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. This is awesome.
1: No, Steve, thank you so much. Like I said, I, I, I've, uh, your podcast is great. I think any, any, of the, all this stuff is great, but you're also taking the time to do this and, and you know, you're, you're getting ready for a big CIF run uh, and and uh, for you to take the time to do this as well is, is awesome. Thank you for what you do for the sport, and good luck um, in your championship run.
0: Thank you very much. I'll see you soon.
1: Yes, you will. Okay. Take care. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye, buddy. Bye-bye.